Welcome to the re-release project of the Keeping Things Alive podcast, which is the republication of episodes that were originally recorded and published between 2016 and 2020 out of Western New York. My name is Laura Evans. I'm a former environmental lawyer, planner, and nonprofit staffer. I also wrote a book called Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law. The Keeping Things Alive podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges as we all live together on this beautiful, living, and interconnected planet Earth. Hello, today I'm excited to share my interview with Sarah Sorcy. Sarah is a community herbalist and owner of Sweet Flag Herbs. She's also the manager of the Dunkirk Farmer's Market. Now, this interview complements my previous interview with Craig Labadee of Buffalo Alternative Therapies. Um, that was the interview with about community acupuncture. Um, Craig and Sarah are my two sources of healthcare outside of the U.S. healthcare system. Even though I do have health insurance through my job, I have found it really empowering to find ways to maintain my health and help me feel better day by day. Um, And I haven't found that with um, a primary care physician or Western doctors, but I, I have found that with acupuncture and also Sarah's community herbalism practice. So Sarah and I grew up together. We've been friends since middle school. We moved back to Western New York in 2015, and it's been wonderful to have her back in my life and get to talk about things that have to do with maintaining health and living in Western New York. Sarah's great at many things, but I think her greatest skill is listening and followed by teaching. So she just has this great ability to understand how things are connected. She's very patient, and I find her journey from farming to herbal medicine, coupled with her continued work in the local food movement, to be very inspiring. I've been participating in Sweet Flag Herbs as a client since 2015. I go to some of her community education classes. She'll do plant walks where she identifies medicinal plants in yards or on hikes. She will do a tea class where she teaches about different kinds of herbal teas, how to make tinctures. There's all sorts of ideas that she has and ways that she wants to share her knowledge with others. Um, I also do purchase herbal tinctures from her because I like that she tries to get herbs that were wild harvested locally. And just like food, I think um, if you're ingesting plants that are from the same place that you are living, it actually makes a difference in supporting your health to a greater degree. I can't exactly explain why that is, but it has been my personal experience. Um, As I said in my interview introduction with Craig, I see personal health as a critical piece to addressing environmental issues. That's what most of these interviews have been about, but have kind of dovetailed into healthcare. Um, Because if we're not well, we can't problem solve and we cannot address and get through the difficult circumstances that environmental issues and particularly climate change are forcing us to face. Um, In light of the current U.S. administration and the possible repeal of the Affordable Care Act, it's been helpful and hopeful for me to know that I do have these local options from Craig and Sarah to help me feel better, and they have nothing to do what's with what is going on in, in Washington. So this personal empowerment has been critical for my mental health and my personal well-being. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Sarah Sorcy. I'm here today with Sarah Sorcy of Sweet Flag Herbs. Uh, We've been friends for quite a while, since middle school, and now we're both back in the area doing uh, work here, and so I wanted to have Sarah on to talk about her herbal medicine practice. Hi, Laura. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here too, Sarah. Um, I wanted to start off by looking at two different teas that I have in my cupboard, and I wanted you to 
just give us a rundown of what's in them and how they're useful um, for people to just drink herbal tea. So sure. why don't you go for that? So congrats on having a wonderful tea collection, first of all. <laughs> Thank you. So the two that I picked out, um, one of them grows wild in western New York, and the so that's the nettle leaf. And the chamomile and lavender tea blend, those are two herbs that are really easy to grow here. So those are always my favorite herbs, what we can um, grow or find really abundantly right here in the Buffalo area. So nettle leaf. I love nettles because first and foremost, it's just a nutritious food. Um, So nettles is a plant that you can grow. I often find it by... um, like moving water. It likes kind of moisture places, probably not full sun, maybe part sun or part shade. And it's really easy to confirm that you have the right plant because it does sting. It's stinging nettles. Right. So, um, you know, most people wouldn't feel that, like have an experience with a stinging nettle and think that they want to eat it. (laughs) But as soon as those little hairs on the plant are crushed or cooked, um, pouring hot water over it for tea or dehydrating it, um, that sting totally goes away. The ah, formic acid okay. is like oxidized or whatever and it's gone. And then it becomes just as safe as spinach or something. And these are the leaves right. of the plant. Okay. Yeah. I was always wondering how that worked and if you're peeling something or whatever. So, okay. Yeah. So it's the leaves of the nettle plant that are stinging but you can get rid of exactly so what are the benefits of drinking nettle leaf tea yeah so um nettles is really high in minerals so you know super long list of nutrients in stinging nettles but calcium and magnesium are two that we think about a lot um so some of the effects like medicinally of nettles are related to the high mineral content it's used often during like menstrual cramp um, time. Or, that is why it is in my tea yeah. cabinet. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, for other cramps too, um, magnesium is something, is a supplement people will often take for cramps. But if we have something like nettle in our cabinet, we can drink the tea instead and ah. we're getting a whole range of, you know, nutrition from it. Um, nettles is also nice for digestion. It's a mild diuretic. So kind of just like help, you know, help flush out excess water if someone might have edema on their legs or something. Um, I use it very often. You know, I probably have like three quarts a week of nettle tea, so it's really safe. Um, It's also used commonly for seasonal allergies, which is a big thing right now for a lot of people. Yeah, I didn't know that, but... Yeah, that kind of drying. It's a little bit astringent, um, so it can help to just like dry up excess mucus. And um, also is used commonly for joint support. Um, people say that it can help to move like lactic acid out of our joints if there's any kind of buildup. And um, so people suffering from arthritis often say it helps. Yeah. So something that's interesting as you're talking about this is that like I'm so used to or at least growing up having like, oh, I have a cough, so I have one thing to treat a cough. Mm -hmm. Um, you wouldn't think that like the same pill would treat like a bunch of different things, but it seems like with a plant, like it goes to different parts or it helps address different things. Do you want to explain that at all? Like why is nettle leaf so good for so many things? Yeah. Great question. So partly it's because like when we're using a plant in whole form is what I call it. So we're not just extracting the magnesium from it or, you know, the whatever constituent people might believe helps with, you know, joints. We're using the whole leaf. So we're getting, you know, there's hundreds or thousands of constituents in a plant, um, just like our foods. You know, it's sort of the difference between taking a calcium supplement and eating kale or eating uh, cheese or Um, any other calcium-rich food. Like, there's so much more we get when we ingest the entire food. We get fiber, we get vitamins and minerals. So so it's partly just the wide range of constituents in a plant that have it, make it have so many different effects. Um, And every body is different, too. Mm -hmm. So that's partly why there's often a long list of effects. Some people may not really notice you know, help with their allergies with nettle, with something like nettles, maybe a different herb works better for them, but maybe their digestion is a lot better if they drink it every day. Yeah. 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 For me, like 
when I am having menstrual cramps, I make a huge container of it and I just sip it throughout the day and it really does provide me with with relief. So that's that was the main reason for it. But anytime I'm feeling like a little rundown, I describe it as a supportive tea. And yeah. so whenever I just need that extra like care, I will have it. And I didn't know this until I talked with you about it, but um, steeping it for like a long time, mm-hmm. like to the point of overnight, actually makes a huge difference with extracting the constituents that are helpful. Yes, totally. Especially minerals. Minerals take longer to extract okay. than like something like caffeine right. with our caffeinated <laughs> teas that comes out really quickly. Um, I also just, I mean, you got to just love having a cup of hot tea too. There's mm-hmm. something I think nourishing or calming about just having that warm beverage um, rather than just like popping a pill yeah um, that I think that experience is really nice too right so. if you like take the time to do it I mean not to sit overnight with the steeping pot of nettle yeah. tea but yeah once it's warm in there yeah I I agree can you talk about the chamomile and lavender sure a little bit and then that one also has lemon balm as like a secret ingredient that they don't advertise but yeah I like the combo Yeah, so this herb reminded me of, um, so in, I would say in other cultures, especially I think of India, there's been an acknowledgement for a long time that there's a connection between our gut health and our, just the kind of health of our mind and um, our thoughts and um, as far as anxiety and depression and maybe like obsessive thinking. Um, So I found it really interesting that a lot of the herbs that have been shown to be calming to our gut, to our digestion, whether they are high in volatile oils like lavender and chamomile, and volatile oils in our digestive system help to push gas through and just kind of keep things moving efficiently, or whether they're bitter, um, bitter herbs or flavors, even coffee, black coffee, mm-hmm. um, that stimulates our digestion by increasing salivation and gastric secretions. Our body's like getting ready for digestion. Um, yeah, it's, I find it interesting that those herbs that have a digestion reputation often also have a reputation for calming the mind or supporting mental clarity. Yeah, I've, I haven't done a lot of research about this, but I have seen that there are a lot more neurons and like almost brain cells in your gut. So to me, it Mm -hmm. makes sense that there is a huge connection between the two. And I do find that when I'm eating well, I have better mental health Mm -hmm. for sure. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But yeah, like what you're talking about is definitely true for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess my next question is, how do you know about all of this? Um, You have a huge depth of knowledge on herbs and plants and how they um, support the human body. So um, I wanted you to talk about, I guess, your decision to go to herbalism school and then what that means and what you studied. Mm -hmm. We'll start there. Yeah. Yeah. So farming is actually my background. Um, I went to school for environmental studies and sustainable agriculture was my focus there. So I didn't actually start working on farms until after getting an undergrad degree, which is not really the traditional way to go into farming in America. <laughs> a lot, you know, 50 years ago, people maybe went into it like because it was their family business or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a suburb, but worked on my first farm. Uh, I guess during the summer in college, I worked for the Rodale Institute in Pennsylvania and uh, worked on a few farms in the Western, one farm in the Western New York area, uh, vegetables and two farms in North Carolina. And yeah, what what kind of farms were they like, were they like you're imagining like, I mean, I'm. I kind of know the answer, but I know it's not this like big monoculture farm. Can you explain the types of farms that you were working on? Yeah, definitely. So um, all three of the farms I spent a full season on were small scale, uh, either certified organic or naturally grown, mostly a wide variety of vegetables and herbs and some fruit. And maybe one or two of those farms also had some chickens for free range eggs, but mostly the focus was vegetables. And how, like, where would they sell their produce and on what scale? Yeah, so um, 
the growers either mostly we're selling at the farmers market so we're selling directly to local people uh, one of the farms was a CSA community supported agriculture so people in their community would sign up for the season maybe pay $500 for a farm season and they would get a weekly share of vegetables that were yeah, in season. Yeah I, I did that a little bit in Austin and I know that I can do that here in western New York I just mm-hmm. haven't signed up for one um, but thank you yeah. for the reminder. <laughs> it's a really good, uh, model for yeah. supporting local farms. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess I really, what I, what made an impression on me after, you know, a long time of school was just the satisfaction of being outside, um, feeling connected to the weather and the seasons and, um, plants that were growing whether it was weeds that I was pulling or eating or, um, yeah, just getting more familiar with the cycle of what, you know, how my food was grown and what to expect from that process. Um, so while working on those farms, I became a a bit familiar with wild edible plants that were growing on the property Mm. because those farmers were generally familiar with which weeds were edible. Mm. And on more than one occasion, I often refer to the story of farmers, I think two, I think I've had two farmers say, you know, this dandelion that we're weeding out is a lot more nutritious than the lettuce. (laughs) And it just, you know, obviously struck a chord that this plant that grows everywhere and everyone's trying to eradicate from their lawns. Oh my gosh. um, The number of hours I spent (laughs) weeding dandelions in my uh, (laughs) early years is it's a lot yeah definitely so that was the only relationship I had had with dandelions <laughs> until working on a farm but I was yeah I was just their roots are so deep <laughs> yeah. but they're edible they <laughs> are yeah they inevitably come back anyway yeah but yeah nobody told me when in digging them I should be cooking them up or making a tea out of it um so yeah that made a big impression just these plants that grow wild here without any intervention from people I mean, other than maybe clearing space for a lawn, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, no, no additional, um, babying was required for a lot of these weeds to thrive. So I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm stuck on dandelions yeah. for a second. Um, just to be clear, the dandelions in your backyard versus like you can spend like, I don't know how many dollars on mm-hmm. a bundle of dandelion greens mm-hmm. sometimes at the grocery store. What's the difference between those? And I guess with in a lawn you'd have to look out for like pesticides or things like that right but could you just pull it out of your lawn and eat it or Absolutely. and what's the difference between the one in the store yeah so I actually worked for a farmer who grew a cultivar of dandelion which was a different species okay. than the, the one in our lawn um, so the species that this farmer grew had had bigger leaves it might have been a little milder flavor And it was just easier to harvest because he could seed it in a bed Mm -hmm. rather than having to maybe, you know, walk a little further to find enough greens to to put in a bunch for customers. However, the species that grows wild in our lawns is the one that is the medicinal species. So Uh, it is like the the cream of the crop dandelion (laughs) is the one that grows wild everywhere. And it's free. And it's free, yeah. Uh So the dandelion that's in all the herbal medicine books for supporting our digestion and our liver um, is, yeah, it's just the free. It's around. Exactly. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. All right. Well, we'll go back to your farming experiences. So how take as long as you want, but making mm-hmm. that connection between working on those farms and then discovering the edible plants, where did that take you? Yeah. So I guess I, in working in farming, I realized that, um, production farming wasn't really my, where my passion lied, mm-hmm. um, or lay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed, I think coming from a background that wasn't connected to growing things. My parents did have a vegetable farm. I will, you know, I absolutely grant them that, but I wasn't involved in it uh-huh. um, yeah. by choice, I would say. I know, <laughs> I know. I swore to my mom, I will never have a single plant. <laughs> and it's like a joke now. I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it just wasn't, to me it was like, it just it wasn't of interest at that time, but 
because that's where I came from, I felt especially excited to share what I was learning with people who maybe could relate to my experience growing up, um, who didn't have like an innate farm connection mm-hmm. or background. Um, but yeah, it just just really the ease and the abundance of these like wonderful plants and like the amazing properties was exciting to me. So, um, so I guess all that to say, I realized in farming that I was more interested in connecting people with plants than I was in just growing food to sell in a more like impersonal way. Mm -hmm. So I went, I began a horticultural therapy program, which took me to North Carolina and, that was after working for a nonprofit in Dunkirk, New York, called the Rural Ministry for about four years. Um, Dunkirk is a lower income community, and I was coordinating community gardens there and school garden programming, and also started and was running a cooking and nutrition program. Um, we had a gleaning project that was getting access or like produce that was going to get tossed, mm-hmm. redirected to soup kitchens in the community as well. So that was a kind of my first taste of combining agriculture with like a social kind of service or connection. Yeah. And I really liked that. So horticulture, because I'm an introvert, um, mm-hmm. I prefer rather than teaching like a classroom of children, I more gravitate towards like one-on-one or like small group. Um, yeah, likewise. Yeah. So I liked the idea of using gardening and farming for therapeutic purposes for an individual or like really small groups of people Um, I thought that was a really neat field yeah so while I was in a horticultural therapy internship in North Carolina I had a one of my bosses mentioned that she was doing an herbal medicine just like a fun weekend program on the side Mm -hmm. and she also had a lot of familiarity with farm vegetables and plants most of which are non-native annuals that you have to replant every year. Um, and it was exciting for her to get to know more of the wild things that were growing on the property that she didn't know what to do with. Yeah. So talking to her about it got me excited to do something a little more formal. Um, so I ended up doing a more, like, a bigger commitment program, a holistic herbalism program with the Blue Ridge School of Herbal Medicine, which mm-hmm. was in Asheville. So I went to school and worked on a vegetable farm for a year and yeah, just really loved, I feel lucky that I fell into that school program because some herbal programs focus on just like using pre-made bottles or tinctures Mm -hmm. and knowing what to recommend to clients, but not necessarily knowing how to use the plants or grow them or wild harvest them. But my program probably every fourth class we were doing a plant walk. So we Mm. were getting out on a trail or in a neighborhood or into my, excuse me, into my director's backyard garden. Mm -hmm. So on the plant walks, we would start by, you know, properly identifying medicinal and edible plants. And, you know, I have guidebooks and I, there's guidebooks that I would definitely recommend to people who are, learning on their own that's a great way to learn there's a peterson's guide to medicinal plants that's awesome nice but you know it's there's something really wonderful about having someone who is already really familiar and who can confirm and say like yes that is in fact you know uh saint john's word or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, so i found it really comforting and it helped my confidence increase once i was out of school like knowing that i was harvesting the right thing what Um, was the either well title of your program Mm -hmm. or the goal of your program like why did you pick that one and yeah yeah, what was it really about because I'm sure there's options yeah so this was a holistic herbalism program so um, it was kind of a concentrated program we met two full days a week for class time and then there was like additional work outside of class and I liked the program partly because of this like local plant focus Mm -hmm. and I would say the intention of the program was to um, give people the, you know, information they needed about anatomy, physiology, and also about like plant chemistry, um, like traditional uses of plants medicinally, um, and being able to combine that information to know how to safely and effectively use plants for wellness. Okay. Um, so we would, you know, we would have a unit about like the cardiovascular system or digestion, And we would talk about, you know, 
basic anatomy physiology and then we would discuss like bring in herbs and talk about how different plants affected different pieces of that system ah that makes sense yeah so that I mean there might be more steps but that brought you back to western New York after it was over Mm -hmm. correct and um can you talk about the origin story of sweet flag herbs and what sweet flag herbs is doing right now yeah so um just before i moved home i took a business class and i thought i was going to be taking the business class to think about a horticultural therapy like i guess a a business but like i think on the first day of the class i realized that i was a lot more excited about sharing herbal medicine with people and finding a way to do that in a in a way that I could focus a lot of my attention towards it. I knew mm-hmm. that if it were just a hobby and I were working full-time on other things, I wouldn't be learning as much as I wanted to. So um, during the class, I worked on the idea of an herbal CSA. Right. So, um, yeah, explain that. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, with vegetables, it means that people are getting a weekly share of what's in season. And I really liked the idea of um, like having a catalog of herbs that I had either wild harvested and made into dried teas or tinctures, which are alcohol extracts or honeys, um, with a description of the plant so people could learn as they're looking through this catalog, like what's available to them from Western New York and also things that I can grow here. So, um, you know, I was excited to have an extensive herb garden and be able to offer that to people. So... That's evolved over the last couple of years, but Uh that's kind of where I started. Um, So I had a few CSA members, and unfortunately, there's a lot of legal uh, issues around offering herbal products to people. Right. And you don't have to go into big details, but like what was your biggest hang up with that? Yeah. So um, in order to sell products to the public, quote, to like whether it's in a store or a farmer's market and... So as that as opposed to having a consultation mm-hmm. and offering a tincture to a client, like one-on-one. Yeah. Um, the more public um, way of offering herbs really explicitly requires um, – there's really stringent rules as far as what the kitchen needs to be like, the documentation. And what I found from talking to people who sell herbal products is that Pretty much zero percent of people comply with every single rule. Mm-hmm. The only, I think, the only companies that can do it perfectly are people like Herb Farm out on the West Coast, who yeah. have like huge facilities to do it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the the kitchens that are available for processing food in a safe way, like health department inspected kitchens, those do not comply with the herb and dietary supplement rules. Ah. So there's, I don't think there's any kitchen in Western New York that would allow me to prepare herbs in a way that I could sell to the public. Okay. Legally. Right, right. Um, so my understanding is that the FDA has said they will turn a blind eye to practitioners who are giving individual bottles to individual clients. I see. So um, it's definitely, not only is it a an easier route in terms of like legal issues, but it's also, you know, I found that I felt uneasy just giving people a list of herbs available uh-huh. because, like, I, I really wanted to make sure that the right herb for them was getting to them. Yeah. And it's impossible to determine that just from reading a short blurb in a catalog. Right. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. So I'm excited to kind of let go of that route. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess we can, I think, going into the consultations a little bit and how your approach to clients and herbal medicine now, I think this would be a good time to talk about um, how, like, the difference between herbalism, homeopathy, like, Western medicine approaches, how do they complement each other, conflict with each other? What are things that you have to deal with when you're talking with clients Mm -hmm. to make sure that, like, the work that you're doing isn't, hurting like Mm -hmm. stuff if they're on other like western medicine prescription drugs or even other herbs i mean yeah just what's your approach to all of that yeah definitely so i think that you know western ideally people have access to all of these things Mm -hmm. and can um you know hopefully 
I guess my personal approach is that I feel great if people have the opportunity to, you know, start with lifestyle, start with diet, exercise, stress, relationships, sleep, Mm -hmm. and, you know, take a look at those things first if there's an issue that you're experiencing. Because, you know, 95% of the time, I find that I don't even need to recommend an herb. Like maybe they just need to drink less coffee or whatever. Yeah, right. (laughs) Maybe their adrenals are tapped and like, you know, maybe decreasing that piece of their diet would do a lot more than any little bottle I would give them, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, So, sure. um, And so beyond that, I would say whole herbs is sort of a next step in terms of, like, gentleness and, mm-hmm. like, much less likelihood compared to pharmaceuticals, I would say, um, to cause side effects or adverse reactions in general. Mm-hmm. So... I would say once someone has maybe gone those routes and explored, um, if they still have found that they haven't found a solution, um, maybe a pharmaceutical would be kind of like a last step or like a last option. Mm -hmm. Um, So one example I'm thinking of, I have a great friend who um, she's done, so she has, she's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and she does a wonderful job of looking at her lifestyle and doing the things she knows work well for folks with bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, regulates her sleep and her schedule and her diet. Um, she does all this, like, holistic stuff. Mm-hmm. And she also has found that lithium is an amazing supplement for her, and it changed her life. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely not an anti-pharmaceutical kind of a person. Right. But I, I feel really glad that she's found ways to support herself outside of just the lithium. Mm-hmm. Because I think in addition to the fact that all those things are really effective, it also keeps us away from feeling like we need to take a pill to be well. And it reminds us that we have a lot of the power in making that happen. So, Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's only been in the last couple of years that I've, I guess, needed to take that kind of responsibility, but also wanted to take that kind of responsibility. And yeah, what I eat, how much I sleep, um, how much I'm sitting down in front of a computer looking mm-hmm. at a screen like that that stuff actually really makes a difference in headaches yeah. anxiety um just general well-being and feeling um but I do have um one herb that has just really helped me a lot and that I now um you know get through you but it's Vitex mm-hmm. and that chasteberry um that helped me so much um when I actually yeah just was having a lot of trouble with like my mm-hmm. menstrual cycle and feeling like really awful and it was just you know different days like there was nothing good about it and um that just it I don't know it just made everything like better and like more flowing like not like just smooth and yeah, I just I I can't really explain it, but mm-hmm. if I'm like starting to feel like really like, you know, PMSy or something like that, I can take that stuff and within that day, I will all of a sudden be like, "Oh wait, that's gone now." And totally. It's it's really cool how that has helped me so much. Um another thing that I really like that I um get from you well two things I like the muscle roller Mm -hmm. with like arnica and comfrey in it Mm -hmm. um does a huge amount of good for sore muscles like compared to something that um is more and I want to talk to you about this like more petroleum based so Mm -hmm. can you explain why I just said petroleum based there (laughs) sure yeah so I have a lot to learn about exactly how pharmaceuticals are made but my understanding is that so as far as like the history of how we got from plant-based medicine to pharmaceuticals and what the difference is um so people were using whole plants for many 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 years hundreds and thousands of years so an example would be that nettle leaf people were taking the whole nettle plant chopping it up and making stuff out of it um the next step was you know maybe isolating one constituent in a lab from that plant so a really common example is like aspirin Mm. which the constituent that's active in aspirin originally came from um plants like willow bark um, it's in meadow sweet. It's another common herb. Um, and from there, we 
So using plant material requires either gathering it in the wild or growing it. And it's my understanding is that it's potentially a lot cheaper to keep the plants out of it mm. and just use like uh, an artificial substitute. So, you know, petroleum is used to make many, many things in our culture. And um, I mean, that's so interesting to me because I think petroleum, I think gas or, you know, just fuel. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like to think about it in so many other products. Yeah. So so it's actually like it's an organic substance and it's really easy to take. I don't know if it's like crude oil. I'm not sure what the correct word is for like petroleum in this sense. But Mm -hmm. um, so it's easy for scientists to break that down into its like smallest pieces so that they can put it back together in the right chemical formula that they need it in for the drug that they're making. Yeah. So it's basically just like an easy material to work with. Yep, exactly. And I don't know what the rest of that pill is made of. I don't know what the fillers are or anything mm-hmm. like that. But I do know that um, that's generally, as far as the active constituent in a drug, it's often like petroleum or yeah. crude oil or whatever. But it, and it's like mimicking like the plant yeah. like compound, but it just, it got to it a different way. And yeah, I I did miserably in organic chemistry, but I do remember that organic compounds always have carbon in them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> pretty much lesson over it. Man, I, I really need to work on that. But anyways, um, so yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, I guess – why um why do you think that i mean i can't say this without it being a bit of a loaded question but why like i feel like herbalism and homeopathic medicine mm-hmm. they get kind of mixed together and dismissed as mm-hmm. not as effective as pharmaceuticals like do you have any like comments on that or like what's your thought process yeah. around that issue yeah i think i mean politics plays into our medical culture pretty significantly. I've had people express concern that a certain herb or usually it's a plant that isn't um, like, you know, we can't patent plants and Mm -hmm. make a lot of money on it in that sense. We can't like own this like wild dandelion in the same way that you can own a brand new drug. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I think I think the reason it gets dismissed, oh, I was going to say, so I had a client who was concerned that something I recommended wasn't FDA approved. Right. So we had a bit of a conversation about like how that approval actually happens. And, Mm -hmm. you know, with drugs, you know, pharmaceutical companies are doing some heavy lobbying and a lot of times things get pushed through quicker than they should. Mm -hmm. Um, There are plenty of medications that um, are pretty questionably safe. um, And to compare those particular drugs that are FDA approved with something like dandelion that's really a food. It's just a nutritious green, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like our culture has a bit of a warped idea of what is safe or healthy because of what authority um, maybe is saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I guess another comment is like the side effects that they list, like they really happen like to real right. people and they really will probably or maybe happen to you. Like I, that was a big thing for me when, when the side effects that were being listed were actually starting to happen to me. I was like, oh wow. Like, cause I don't know when I grew up, I was like, oh, that's just like a small percentage of people. But then mm-hmm. it started being more clear. The other thing that I've noticed about, you know, herbs and using them to support my health is that they're more subtle and mm-hmm. they take longer right. and sometimes you really want that relief like now absolutely yep yeah a lot of time that's a really good point so i mean compare it to like making a diet change you know if somebody's looking for like relief from constipation and they just started incorporating vegetables into their diet um maybe that's not a good example because that might have a more immediate effect maybe something like blood pressure or like a cardiovascular issue yeah um it takes time for a change in diet like it's not going to happen overnight and we Mm. know that with food but for some reason i think because herbs maybe are bulked into like a medicine sort of a realm we expect quick action like we would with a pill yeah but you're absolutely right like you know herbs are somewhere in between food and like medicine a lot of the time you know so they're 
they're often supporting our mucous membranes. Like they're, they're maybe um, like tightening and toning tissue in our body. Mm-hmm. They're like making little changes that might help thing, things run more efficiently. And that takes time to notice. So. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, I want to switch directions a little bit to more of your interest in local food. And, mm-hmm. and that also ties into local herbs too. So yep. that you do wild harvesting for as much as you can and then get the rest um, from a company that you, you know, mm-hmm. agree with their practices. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, can you talk about like the importance of local plants, whether that's food or herbs? Yeah, definitely. So um, my part-time job, besides my herbal medicine practice, is working for the Dunkirk Farmers Market in Chautauqua County. I'm the market manager there. And I feel especially excited to be working at that market because it is in a lower-income community. I think between 25 and 30% of individuals are using SNAP benefits, which were formerly food stamps. Mm. So, um, and they're also, in recent years, it's become allowed, people can now shop with SNAP benefits at the farmer's market. And there's even programs, we just recently got accepted for a double up program. So if somebody swipes $10 off of their SNAP card, we will give them 20 to shop at the farmer's market. Um, The extra 10 is for fresh fruits and vegetables specifically. So, um, I guess that's sort of just like a little side note plug for that program. But. No, I think that's amazing and, and super important because so much of this, like the, the local food movement and the organic food movement can feel very like classist yes. and, um, it, in order for us to improve as a society, like it simply can't be. So, right. Absolutely. um, I'm really happy to see this program and is the, Farmers markets accepting SNAP benefits. Is that common in Western New York or are you an anomaly? Like it is really common. Okay. Um I don't I don't know if I can say that most do. Uh, I was surprised to find that the Hamburg farmers market, I live in Hamburg, New York, mm-hmm. and that market does not accept SNAP benefits. Okay. What would it um, take for that to happen? So there's a like yeah. is that like I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Is that the thing where like the Hamburg, the people who run the Hamburg farmers market would have to apply and make that happen. Right. Like basically you, but running the Hamburg farmers market would be in charge of that right. kind of work. Okay. Yeah. So it's the responsibility of the manager. Whoever. Okay. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, but yeah, after, you know, there is some work and like paperwork involved and mm-hmm. like maintaining, just keeping track of the EBT machine and the tokens you hand out. Uh-huh. Um, there's some documentation you need to do. But it's completely worth it to give access to, you know, a complaint that a lot of people have is that local vegetables at the farmer's markets might seem more expensive than what you can get at like like a cheaper grocery store. So the fact that I think every market in Chautauqua County, at least, that accepts um, SNAP benefits also has the double up program. Mm. We were the last one to like get accepted into it in Chautauqua County. So... I mean, that is, I think that's been really helpful for people to say, oh, like, I really have no excuse anymore because mm-hmm. I'm getting, you know, twice as much money when I come here as yeah. opposed to using my SNAP benefits at the grocery store. So, yeah, I guess. So my experiences with farmers markets, I, did they all have credit card machines now? Or where did, where is your like SNAP benefit machine and how does that work with having different stands? It's yeah. like a detailed question, but I'm yeah. just curious. So um, every market, I think, is a little different. Ours, we have a – I have a market manager's tent where people can come to swipe their SNAP card. Okay. Um, I give them tokens from there. Some markets also accept credit cards, and we don't yet. Mm, okay. Um, but people will swipe their credit card usually with the manager as well and will also get tokens. Mm. So that's a nice way to kind of blend in with the token-using thing. Yeah, um, yeah, if for cre- sure. Yeah, if credit card and SNAP users both have tokens, people aren't looking at which one you have or whatever. Right. If there's any kind of stigma around mm-hmm. that. So That's really cool. Um, And then I guess going on to like the, the expense of – farmers market vegetables whether you have you know food stamps Mm -hmm. or not um a lot of people just kind of balk at the price um but I've found that there's a higher nutritional content in local vegetables 
I mean, I like to, I prefer organic, but sometimes I will, I will go with the local non-organic over mm-hmm. organic from California sure. or the Netherlands or wherever. Um, what are your thoughts Absolutely. on that? So I referenced these studies a lot from the Rodale Institute. Um, they did a study um, looking at the vitamin A and C content of vegetables, depending on when they were harvested, like how long ago. And they found that after just maybe, you know, they looked after 24 hours or um, 48 hours. And after just a day or two, you lose like 63% of the vitamin C in vegetables. And they didn't look at the full span of nutrients in there. But it's a huge difference if we can get things to market quickly and then eat them quickly rather than shipping it from California. So you're absolutely right. Right. I, I taste it. I taste like the difference, which generally I think when something like tastes good or more complicated or stronger, it probably has more constituents. Yeah. Yep. Um, And that also like I get fuller faster or like I feel like I can there's more time between meals. Like I've received my nutrition from my food um, with a smaller amount. And so in a way, like I haven't done the math on it, but it seems like I am getting a lot of value out of spending more money on like farmer's market produce mm-hmm. that's fresh versus, Absolutely. you know, something that's cheaper. Like it actually matters from like a nutritional content standpoint. It does. Yeah. You get more value out of, out of your mm-hmm. purchase there. Right. But I've, I've only recently had that like change in thinking. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool. I also feel, you know, after working on farms and making very little money, like at that time, I just realized that farmers are also in that demographic of low income people. So mm-hmm. I get excited about programs that are both, you know, offering access to local produce to a category of or like a demographic of individuals who maybe felt less connected with that, with like local food, um, but also making farming on like a local small scale basis more viable for people yeah most farmers when a farmer's market starts to accept snap benefits or the double up program they find that their sales increase significantly because yeah there's more dollars to be spent there now Um, yeah so that's really exciting too that is exciting Mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah so now I want to switch to the little mini field trip that we took before we just sat down here um Yeah, we're at my apartment in Buffalo, New York, and before we started talking, we walked out into the yard of my house slash apartment building. Um, I live in Elmwood Village in Buffalo, so it's an old house that's been divided into apartments, Um, but there is a really nice side yard, and I have a small four-by-six urban vegetable garden, but I want... Sarah to walk around my yard and notice the different um, either edible or medicinal herbs that were just growing randomly. Um, so anyway, Sarah, take it away. <laughs> yeah. So in Laura's, you know, Buffalo backyard, we saw at least 10 more than I didn't write down everything. So um, at least 10 edible and medicinal plants just growing in the lawn and like along the edges. One of them I was excited to see is self-heal or heal-all. It's Prunella vulgaris is the botanical name. And just about everybody would recognize this plant. It's actually in the mint family. It has square stems and opposite leaves. And you might recognize this sort of purple, round, bumblebee-like flower head that comes up in lawns in the summertime. And... Um, So first and foremost, just like nettles, it's a food. It's just a nutritious, mild green, and I like to substitute it for spinach because even when it's flowering, I find that it stays pretty mild. It doesn't get bitter. Do you eat the flowers too? You can. I don't really like chewing on that, like, yeah, but yeah. you could. Okay. You, I would more likely make tea out of it so uh-huh. I could strain it out. Got it. Or make like a infused vinegar. Would maybe. you dry the leaves first or would you just make the tea out of fresh leaves? Either way. If you're wanting to, you know, enjoy it right away, you could just use it fresh. But if mm-hmm. you want to save some for winter or when it's gone, um, you know, like after the things have died for the season or died back, you can dehydrate it too. Either way is good. Cool. Um, so, you know, it's a food if it's used casually, but like most herbs, we can either use them casually or not, I won't say most herbs, like many herbs, we can (laughs) use them casually like food 
Or if we use them regularly, we start to see the medicinal properties of them come mm-hmm. into play. So self-heal is, I would say the most, the property that excites me the most is that it's a antiviral herb. Mm. And it's just recently been studied for effects on, especially viruses that tend to hang out in the body, like shingles or herpes, mm-hmm. uh, one and two. And it's been found that self-heal can reduce the duration, severity, and frequency of outbreaks of especially herpes. Um, so if somebody tends toward cold, sore, cold sores mm-hmm. or um, like genital herpes outbreaks, that would be a nice plant to just incorporate into like regular diet. You can use it preventatively or like during an outbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, shingles as well. So... Yeah, I just think it's neat that a plant that is so benign and just sort of like (laughs) food can have such a cool like property like that as well. Um, And self-heal is also, it's both astringent and moistening. Okay. And so the astringency kind of tightens and tones tissue, might dry it out a little bit. And the moistening constituent in it can help to heal and soothe. A lot of plants that share both of those properties are good for skin. Mm-hmm. Um, it can help reduce inflammation while also helping with healing. So it's a nice herb for to use topically as well. So are you like, like how do you put it on topically? Yeah. So you could, um, there's the classic spit poultice. How, explain that. <laughs> I like that now, but I did not know what it was before yeah. you explained it to me. So um, first I'll say another couple of plants that this would be good for that we saw today mm-hmm. are violet ground ivy, plantain, um, yarrow. So when we make a spit poultice, we chew it up. We take a leaf or two, chew it up, spit it out, and put it on our bug bite or sliver or cut. Yeah. And I do this with plantain on bug bites. Yeah. And it's a miracle. Like, it really stops it itching. Like, more than chamomile lotion, like, all that stuff. I just, I mean, it's a little weird to, like, chew up a leaf and like put it on yourself but um I don't care (laughs) yeah definitely it's really great and it's great like you know often we're outside when we get a bug bite and it's Mm -hmm. convenient that these plants are like literally everywhere around here so and I am going to I took pictures of these plants as Sarah was pointing them out so even though I don't have that many pictures on my website I want to include these because I think it would be a nice compliment to what we're talking about cool yeah um, do we have time for another plant? Yeah, let's do one more. Okay. I thought I'd mention um, violet because I've been seeing a ton of violet flowers in Me the yard. Me too. Yeah. I, yeah. I used to make itty bitty bouquets when yeah. I was little. So <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. super cute. They're, mm-hmm. it's a great little flower. So the purple one is the most common violet flower that I see in lawns. Um, there's also a white one that I think you might have some of in your mm-hmm. lawn. Um, those are the two that my one of my teachers in school recommended to eat. He said the yellow violet, which is less common, is also not as tasty. Mm. So you can eat the leaf and the flower of violet. And as you can imagine from that bright purple color, it's really high in antioxidants. Mm. So that's a nice benefit. Um, the leaves are mild too, just like the self-heal leaves. And they have a spinachy kind of a texture. So you can eat them fresh or uh, cooked, however you would normally eat spinach. They'd be good for a smoothie, whatever. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, food. Um, yeah. Violet is a really commonly used skin herb. You could, you know, infuse it into oil or witch hazel. It's very mucilaginous or like moistening. Mm-hmm. So if you chew a violet leaf, you will notice this kind of like slimy, I would say a pleasantly slimy feeling. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um so you can, it's really easy to imagine what that sliminess does when you put it on your skin. Um, it just like helps to like protect it and like heal things more quickly. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Just a note on different greens that are edible. Something I learned that I thought was cool was like different greens have different amino acids in them. So like the compounds that make up proteins. So if you eat a variety of greens you can kind of create the building blocks of protein um but the key is variety Mm -hmm. so this is awesome for me to know because it's like oh i because if i just make you know salads with just spinach all the time like you just kind of get sick of them you've had that constituent but you mix it up with other ones kale collard greens chard 
and now Violet and Sophia. Like that just, it adds to the variety, which is important. Totally. And bringing back the the idea that the closer to harvest we get food, the more nutritious it is and more potent. Um, You know, that you can't get any fresher than that if you pick it and then eat it right away. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just, I mean, that is like the utmost gourmet quality food and it was free. Yeah. So it's just so exciting. Yeah. Well, I think we have enough time um, because I'm selfish and curious. Um, But can you pick an herb that you saw in my in my raised bed garden Mm. just now and just say a couple of things about it? Because I I use all of those herbs for cooking. But what else would be a benefit medicinally or nutritionally? Yeah, I'll mention lemon balm because uh, one of the properties it shares with self-heal. So lemon balm also has that antiviral property to it Mm -hmm. and is particularly used for things like um, shingles and herpes 1 and 2. Um, Lemon balm, it has that nice volatile oil content. That's why it smells so good and lemony. Yeah. So that is great for both digestion and for our mind, for like mental clarity and mood. My teacher in school said that lemon balm was like sunshine in a bottle. Mm -hmm. And if someone had like mild seasonal affective disorder in the winter, that would be a really, that's probably the first herb he would choose to. I have harvested that lemon balm chopped it up put it in a jar with um I think Smirnoff vodka and just extracted it and then made a tincture and I do use it as more of an uplifting thing Mm -hmm. that is the one herb that I don't cook with too much although I'll make fresh tea out of it I I do eat it but I sometimes I'll just grab a piece and just sniff it because it like it is it is strangely and wonderfully uplifting yeah definitely Yeah. yeah that one I don't know. It's been great. Yeah. Great tea. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to go to my last question for you, Mm -hmm. which is where do you experience a world in yourself or society that is dying and being born? Mm. So answer it however you want. And yeah, go for it. I love those (laughs) questions. Um, So I guess I think the world, I think what's dying is also currently thriving at the moment, which is short-term fixes. Mm. Um, I feel like the culture that we, or at least that I feel like I was born into, was like Band-Aid solutions for everything. And it's partly because of like needing to get reelected in Congress or, you know, like I feel like our whole political system is set up for short-term fixes. And yeah, just like trying to please constituents in a short-term way. I think of like, you know, the quote, like interests, like energy or like business interests of like coal or fossil fuels. It would be so easy for those companies, I think. I mean, easy in like a mental, like a philosophical framework to see that it's actually best for business to invest in things that will work long term for the human race and for like the global community in general. But for some reason, we just have this idea that like, oh, like, you know, prioritizing um, like renewable energy is somehow not in the interests of those businesses. And it somehow is like missing the point of business in general. Like business should be evolving and like responding to the realities. And that's how you have a thriving business. So, mm-hmm. so I feel like we have this strange... I think short-term solutions are like strangely thriving in our culture at the moment, but it is not possible for them to like long-term for that culture to long-term survive. So mm-hmm. like, I think it is inevitably dying. Yeah. Um, and when I hear to get just a touch political, no, no I, yeah, please. <laughs> I think I heard a, I'm not, I don't really understand the, like the focus on for Donald Trump's administration right now and like supporting coal mm-hmm. and like trying to revigorate the coal um, industry. But I think it's those priorities that help me to see like in sort of a humbling, sobering way, like, wow, this is part of America's downfall. You know, like mm-hmm. we are not on the forefront anymore of mm-hmm. um, like long term visionary sort of choices at least in this administration so and that 
what is heartening, like what is comforting about that is that it can't last forever, like inherently. Like, yeah. you know, if it's if it doesn't work, which it doesn't, it's not going to last. So Right. I, yeah, I recently read, like it doesn't um, abide by the laws of nature. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. That like you can't really, you can't negotiate with, you can't make a deal with those laws of nature. Exactly. So. Yeah, which is... You know, it's frustrating to see it feels childish to like avoid those laws of nature and like mm-hmm. try to like pretend Overcome you're not part it. of it. Yeah. But um, but it, there's something comforting about knowing that like we aren't as powerful as we think we are. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so as far as what is being born, I guess in contrast to that, I think it's interesting. So people have asked me, you know, isn't aren't GMOs and like, you know, monoculture way of farming using a lot of pesticides and chemical fertilizers. Like, don't you think that's awful? And my answer is really more like, well, I think it's just part of our process for learning how to do it well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think before we had that technology, we, we grew our food and lived in a way that was more in tune with the ecosystem just because we had to yeah and maybe we felt limited by it yeah and now we've like you know explored doing things in a way that we thought was more efficient and we thought was going to be more productive and easier and it doesn't work it's crappy (laughs) (laughs) right yeah and now you know there's all these really what we think of what like my generation might think of as like innovative ideas like permaculture which Mm. is farming in a way that mimics a like the natural ecosystem that belongs there. It's like growing, it's forest farming in an ecosystem that should be a forest. And I mean, that's not, I mean, thinking like an ecosystem is the oldest way of thinking that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are just now, I guess, coming back to it in a more intentional way rather than doing it just because we're like stuck in it. Right, right. So, yeah, maybe it's being reborn, but I think it's something new because I think we're more sober now after doing a crappy experiment that doesn't work. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. I think it was, like, under the guise of, like, you know, feeding a larger, like, world population or something like that. But ultimately, it's, like, not – like, food is supposed to provide you with nutrition, and that's not what it's doing. So exactly. Yeah, to to understand that that is is not a solution is really – it's interesting, but it requires, it requires, yeah, permaculture and it requires something to take its place. Right. And exactly. so I, yeah, I like that. And really like growing your own food mm-hmm. is a really empowering experience. I've only yes. been doing it for a couple of years, but I can't see myself not doing it anymore um, because it's, you know, it doesn't, it didn't require like anything really complicated or hard it was just like a bit of planning and intention yeah and I think I could do a lot more uh, but at least it's a step so yeah yeah. that empowerment's really important Mm -hmm. remembering just how much we can do for ourselves especially with so much of our recreation is very passive I think in our Mm -hmm. culture we Mm -hmm. do a lot of like watching things but um, yeah it's great to use our time our free time to like make things grow yeah create yeah Mm -hmm. be doing an action yes instead of like being passive yeah well is there anything else uh parting words for the people listening hmm I guess I will share one book recommendation yeah um, please so in addition to that Peterson's field guide um there's a book that I think I would recommend to anyone who's just getting into the idea of herbs and it's by Rosalie de la Foray and the book is called Al- The Alchemy of Herbs. It just came out like a month or two ago. Rosalie is the the education director for learning herbs that puts out really creative learning tools to learn about medicinal herbs. So her book is just really um, succinctly and just effectively laid out with beautiful pictures, which always oh, helps. Yeah. But I love that she – it's a book for beginners, but it also doesn't – try to just match an herb to an ailment she incorporates the fact that um, we need to look at a person's body type and match an herb like the right herbs to that right body type rather than just saying oh you have arthritis like take nettles Mm -hmm. Um, you know if you have the right body type for nettles then use nettles but um, 
yeah, different herbs are better for different types of people. And um, she incorporates that framework into how she writes the book in a really great way. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I like that because um, so much of this is actually taking some um, personal responsibility for like self-education, mm-hmm. I guess, um, that is going beyond like traditional school systems. And as I see things you know, public education, you know, that's great. And, but it ends when you're 18 and maybe it wasn't that good to begin with. Like there are sources of information out there so that you can take control over at least some parts of like what you put into your body. Right. (laughs) Um, I also love that she, she adds, so a lot of the recipes in the book are actually just food. Like she's like mm. incorporating medicinal herbs into our cooking, which implies that, oh, we need to cook. Um, You know, it doesn't separate. You can't just like eat out all the time and then have your tincture that you carry around with you and have that be a holistic life. Like she Mm -hmm. tries to really combine the two by incorporating our medicine into our meals and I love that too yeah Mm -hmm. well thanks Sarah this has been really fun yeah thank you have a good day you too thank you so much for listening to the keeping things alive podcast my name is Laura Evans and if you would like more information about me this podcast, or other work that I care about, please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org.